When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? Then you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick to two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PITCHERLIST and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy com or underdog fantasy in the app store sign up with promo code pitcher list and get your first deposit doubled up to $100 must be 18 year older 19 year older in Alabama and Nebraska 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates terms apply concerned with your play call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org in Arizona call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in New York call 1-877-8 Hope and why in Tennessee call 1 800 889 9789. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Keep or Cut podcast, a proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm your host today, Pete Ball, joined as always by Chad Young. We are entering episode 111. Um, let let let's start with that, Chad. One eleven. Have you looked at the number elevens in baseball history? Yeah, there's uh there's quite a few good ones, but there's you know, it, it's weird. This is one of those like Rogers Hornsby shows up as by far the best player to ever wear number eleven, but he only wore it for two years. And since right. he was early, I also don't know if that's one of those like he didn't wear a number until 1934, and he always would have been number eleven if he could have been. No so. idea. I don't know either, but uh, yeah, if it's not him, I mean, for me, Barry Larkin is the, is, is where my mind goes. If not, uh, if not Edgar, right. Being here in Seattle, Edgar Martinez. Yeah. Probably that's definitely trouble the... with my son. If I didn't say Edgar, so <laughs> I'm surprised your son knows who he is. That's a real baseball aficionado there. He, uh, he, Edgar Martinez. It, and he was, uh, you know, we go to a lot of a lot of Mariners games, and he was at the Jersey retirement ceremony for Edgar, as well as Ichiro and Griffey, because they didn't. They all they've, they've all wow. been here like the last <laughs> few years, um, and he. Uh, so he, yeah, he's been. Um, he he knows that history, and he's got like the the at the Jersey retirement ceremony for Edgar. They gave away like a replica of the plaque that just has mm-hmm. the number eleven on it. And so he's got that in his room. So he's oh, he's familiar. <laughs> he would have a problem with that then. Edgar Martinez, yeah. of course, the second greatest DH of all time. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> it's not close. It's not close. Moving on uh, before we have to dive down that. Um, our last episode, Chad, we talked a lot about the trade deadline and it was like in the thick of it. Right. We were recording on. I don't remember, but it was like the day before the deadline Monday before right it was the deadline was Tuesday we recorded Monday is that right yeah it was something like that and so it was going over the trades that had already happened and kind of predicting or projecting what might happen going forward which is a very very difficult thing to do and so we're going to try kind of treat this episode as if like we're just continuing on with our conversation about all the different moves that took place if folks recall because it was only a week ago not that much actually really did have an I don't know Chad impressions maybe for you it's different as a Guardians fan because you had quite a shakeup right two two important names getting sent out and two like kind of like big deal prospects coming in but from my perspective it was like yeah we wanted the Red Sox to do something but once you saw what actually took place it was like "Eh, was there any move here that would have taken the Red Sox to the next level I don't think so and so I don't know the names that moved were big names one, two, three years ago. Like, I, I don't yeah. know. What do you think about this trade deadline? You know, I, I thought there were 
there was more movement than I expected. Like we talked in the last episode, I did not think Verlander was going to get traded. I thought the combination of his contract and the fact that the Mets were going to need an ace next year. Anyways, they, they'd end up holding him. And instead he, he not only got traded, but he got traded for a, a pretty solid return. Uh, and I think the Mets may have benefited some from being in, in a position to both hold out and just be like, all right, we'll just, keep him and to eat contract, right? Cause they had a lot of money on both the Scherzer deal and the Verlander deal to get these deals done and get real returns for them. So yeah, I, I was impressed with that. I thought, you know, I, I sort of thought we had seen most of the action. I mean, if you remember when we looked at the end of the episode, not only did I project that Verlander wouldn't get traded, which is obviously wrong, but I said, you know, I don't think Snell and Hater are going anywhere. Um, I, I just like, I didn't expect a ton, but we did see like, Seawald got moved. Uh, there were a few others. So there were there were some interesting there were some interesting deals right at the deadline. Yeah, quite a few. I, uh, on the fringes, right? I don't I don't know how much of a fantasy impact a lot of these moves yeah. had. We're we're gonna gonna we're certainly gonna try and break those down. Um and we could start with the Verlander one. So the Astros obviously are bringing Justin Verlander back. I saw some some tweets out there of like, I don't know if they're bitter Astros fans or people make fun of the Astros. And it was like, you know, you, you could have just had Verlander back if you spent six million more. Apparently their offer was like six million off. Instead, now you have to give up your top prospect who we could certainly talk about Drew Gilbert as well. He's a good prospect, but it's a little misleading to say he is the Astros top prospect because he would not be the top prospect on most major league clubs, but he's still a very good prospect. Whatever the case may be, I, I don't know. I... I don't have a problem with what the Astros did, right? Like they drew a line in the sand. They said, this is as far as we're willing to go for Justin Verlander because it looks like, you know, we've got Framber Valdez and Christian Javier who are looking like they're going to be aces. Well, you know what? One of those two has not lived up to expectations. You know, you can say they should have predicted it, but Lance McCullers has not thrown a pitch this year. Their situation has changed and their situation has changed in a way where they said, you know what? Let's bring back Verlander. We feel comfortable with that. So it's it's kind of an aside. I'm okay with that. In terms of fantasy value, Chad, I don't know. So much of a difference here. I don't. I don't think so. I, I don't think so, except for the fact that I trust the Astros organization just a little bit more, just a little bit more than the Mets organization. <laughs> and so, from that perspective, I think like I think he'll age a little better, right? Like sure. I, I just trust them to be in a better position as as his age catches up with him to be like, okay, here's a couple of small tweaks you can make that'll help you just stay effective a little bit longer. And if he starts to have injury issues, although, you know, they've had issues with like McCullers and others, but like, I trust them to take care of their players more than I trust the Mets to take care of their players. So from that perspective, there might be a little bit of boost to his value next year. Like I feel a little bit better about him next year back in Houston than I would in New York. But it's not it's not drastic, right? His his performance this year, which has been, uh, you know, mixed. I guess I would say, right? He's got a three point one one ERA, but the FIP is three point eight eight. The xFIP is four point six zero. Sierra's four point six three. The strikeouts are way down. The walks are way up. Like there's there's a lot of ugly underlying a pretty solid ERA. That stuff is going to play much more into what what I view him as a keeper than the fact that he's in Houston. It's just I, I the reality is I'm worried about him because the the underlying numbers are not very good this year and that is more concerning to me than being in Houston is beneficial. Now, if he finishes the season with, you know, his first start with Houston was sort of more of the same, right? 2.57 ERA but no strikeouts, not no, not no strikeouts. That's a lie, but very few strikeouts. What did he do? He went seven innings. He struck out four. Yeah. Seven innings, four strikeouts, two walks. He gave up a home run. He gave up two runs. It's like two runs over seven innings is pretty good. Uh, but, you know, the whip wasn't great. No strikeouts. Walks weren't great. So I, it's sort of more of the same from him. Now, if he starts showing over the next couple of weeks, a couple of months, whatever we got left in the season, like those strikeouts start ticking back up and there's a change in his pitch mix. And there's some other, you know, shifts in what he's doing that start to look like 
the Astros had their eye on something and have helped him correct something. He may jump up my my board a bit for next year, but I don't know. Right now, I'm pretty concerned, and I'm not super confident that the that the Astros are going to fix him. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the conversation that we had um, about Lance Lynn. It was last week or the week before. It was like, hey, he's he's going to a good organization, but maybe the problems are too big for for even a, a good organization. And so far, so good for Lance Lynn. I mean, just so folks know, we're recording Sunday night, August 6th. Um, and Lance Lynn's night is done, it looks like. He went six innings, one earned, two walks, four hits, and six strikeouts. And that's after dominating Oakland his last time out. So organizations maybe can see a change. Maybe that's happening to Lance Lynn. And certainly it could happen to Verlander. I think for keeper leagues, I, I don't know. He's his price is not going to be great anyway, so he would really have to go off down the stretch. But to your point, if he does, I don't know. I I feel like he's going to end up being a decent keep in some spots. Like for for reference, in the I think it's the podcasters league, I got him for twenty seven dollars. If he if he dominates these last two months, like he, he looks like he's pacing out like his Cy Young self last year at twenty nine dollars, I might be thinking about it. He's probably a cut, but no. at least he could enter the conversation. Don't think about it. You're out on that? Yeah. I, there, there's almost nothing he could do down the stretch here that would make me want to spend 30 bucks, almost 30 bucks on him given the underlying performance so far this year. Yeah, that's fair. I would take a velocity bump too, which is just, it's just not going to happen at this point in the season. Um, I, I guess a, a little anecdote there, the Houston Astros bullpen has been about a half run better, than, which is a lot than the Mets bullpen. So that's something to consider. I don't know how many games the Mets bullpen actually blew for Verlander, but uh, but there you go. So that's our take on Verlander. Not a lot of long-term stuff. This next one though is so frustrating for me, Chad. <laughs> the Orioles got Jack Flaherty and I was like, Man, what a stupid, like, he's not good, and you needed way more than that. And then he goes out there against, was it was it against the Rays of all teams? It was somebody. Toronto. It was the Jays. So arguably even better. Goes out against Toronto and blows them away. And not only was he very effective, but his velocity was up. He touched 97 on the gun. He's been averaging way lower than that for St. Louis. I'm frustrated. The Cardinals are probably frustrated. The Orioles are excited. Should fantasy managers be excited about Jack Flaherty in Baltimore? So the reality is like Flaherty before the trade. So not counting that start in Baltimore. It wasn't in Baltimore. It was in Toronto, but with Baltimore. His last 12 starts with St. Louis, dating back basically to mid-May, he made you know three starts in May at the end of the second half of May, one, two, three, four in June, and then five in July, all with St. Louis. And 70 and a third total innings, 3.45 ERA, 3.42 FIP. His ex-FIP was 4.13, so a little bit of you know home run per fly ball luck there, but um, that's something that he may get more of in his new park. For sure. So that's, that's pretty helpful. I, he's been pretty good for almost three months now. So I think, yeah, you you should be interested. And I mean, his cost at the beginning of the season sort of bounced around. It varied. If Pete was in your league, he was really expensive. And if Pete wasn't in your (laughs) league, he was relatively inexpensive. But like by now, if you're picking him up or if you're getting him in a trade or if you've got him on your roster, he probably isn't that expensive. And I like, I feel very differently about him than Verlander because he's been good for a few months now. And if he shows over the next couple of months that he can keep that up and maybe even do a little better with a, with the park there and a, you know, the excitement of a playoff chase and all that stuff going on. Like I'm intrigued. I mean, all the things you said about him back before the season are, are still true, right? This is a guy who was a legit ace who's been working his way back from injuries and and stuff. He's only 27 years old. And now we're seeing after a rough start, he's performing well. So I think, yeah, I think I'm intrigued. And I think fantasy managers probably should be too. So 
before we break him down a little bit more, I'm going to throw it out. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Jack Flaherty gets Houston this week in a weekly lineup. Are you are you putting him in your in your lineup? No, <laughs> but that's uh, you know, Houston. Yeah, it's just it's. I'm not ready to do that. And there's a lot of pitchers I would sit against them. And I know Houston's. You know, they are like. By WRC plus, they're sort of a middling team this year. They're tied for the twelfth best offense at one hundred three, but like Altuve was out forever, and Jordan Alvarez was out forever. Like those guys aren't out now. And you take a sort of averageish lineup and add in those two guys, uh, they get better and they get better quickly. And so I think they're a pretty scary lineup right now, and there aren't a ton of team, ton of pitchers. I would feel good about starting against them. So I don't think the fact that I would sit him is like a huge knock on Flaherty. It's just like, he's not one of the handful of aces that you just never think twice about. Right. I, I So I'm with you. I'm not going to start him this week. I am excited um, and because obviously I was very in on Jack Flaherty before the season. And I just want to see him do well. I really like Jack Flaherty. But the one thing I'll say is he has been really he's been, he's just been really bad this year, but he's been really bad against lefties. And when you look at that Blue Jays lineup that he faced, Dalton Varsho has just been atrocious this season. He was one of the lefties in the lineup. The other two lefties were Kevin Kiermaier, who you know can't hit his way out of a paper bag, and I believe the only other lefty in the lineup that day would have been Brandon Belt, who's kind of had an up and down season. So. I mean, it's it's extremely anecdotal. It's breaking down one start and trying to project everything for the future. But Flaherty's struggles have come with lefties, and that is a concern because, yes, he's he should do well against righties in Camden because it's so hard on Camden's, but in Camden on righties, but lefties can still hit there. And so, if his home park lefties give him a problem and lefties can hit well at Camden, I could just see that being a problem. I know that's something we talked about in the past with Blake Snell and Erod when we were trying to project there their landing spots or their ideal landing spots, I should say. So Flaherty. Yeah. I mean, I'm the Flaherty guy. Sure. Um, I'm excited even though I dropped him everywhere, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I need to see a little bit more and I'm with you. I'm not, I'm not deploying him this week. So uh, now we can finally get into the guardians, man. I, I feel like they're just really swinging above their weight class get with these prospects. Like they're, they're handing out Josh Bell and they're getting back Khalil Watson. Um, and, and for what it's worth, Gene Segura was also released. Um, so if that matters to you in your 40 team leagues, you know, time to cut bait on Gene Segura. Yeah. But thoughts on the uh, Guardians deal here, Chad? So the Segura piece that's interesting is not the fantasy impact, uh, obviously. But, you know, we talked about how the Mets were in a position to eat a bunch of money in order to get real prospects back for expensive older pitchers. That's what the Guardians did here. Yeah. And that is not a team that you usually think of as like, yeah, if, if we can get a better prospect back, we'll eat the dollars. Like usually you see them as the team that's like, we can't take on any money. Um, and they didn't actually, I mean, technically they didn't take on money here, much like the Mets. They they got rid of some money. because, But rather than trading Bell and his contract, they took back more than half of his contract in Segura and then DFA'd him, right? Which is is effectively a, you know, it's a it's a financial transaction, right? They sure. absorbed his contract and then let him go. So they're on the hook for his contract instead of the Marlins being on hook for it, which is, you know, nice of the Guardians to do that. But that's why they were able to get Watson back instead of, you know, some unknown random dude in, in A-ball. Uh, the other thing, so, I mean, we, we could talk about Watson because I actually think there is some... I think Watson is more interesting than people realize at this point. Like there was so much hype around him when he was drafted. And then he, he sort of is, I think the, the book on him right now is like, Oh, he really struggled, right? He was in the complex league for more than a year, almost two, you know, he, he was there in 2021. He started there in 2022. Then in 2022, he reaches a ball. He's striking out a ton. He's not doing particularly well. And, this year with Miami, he's he's been down a little bit since he came to Cleveland, kind of. It, it depends how you look at it. But he had a 104 WRC plus with Miami as a 20-year-old in high A. Like, that's not a bad performance. And yeah, he's striking out 28% of the time, but he's walking 14.4% of the time. I, I, I kind of like some of what I see there. 
Now, since he's come to Cleveland, he's had 12 plate appearances. There have been a ton of strikeouts. He hasn't walked, but he does have a home run. He started, he was like two for three in his first three at bats with a single and a home run. I, you know, it's too early to read too much into what's going on there. But, I, you know, I like this and I, I like, you know, Cleveland. It'll be interesting to see what Cleveland does with him because Cleveland's MO has been go get high contact, great zone awareness, great bat control type guys, and then see where you can go with with the power from there. And so they've had guys like Will Brennan come up that way. Oscar Gonzalez is a little bit of a different guy because he strikes out a lot. He, swing, he doesn't actually strike out a lot. He swings at everything. He doesn't have necessarily great plate discipline, but he does have great bat control. Um, Steven Kwan is sort of the success story most recently. Jose Ramirez is sort of the long-term success story. Watson's a really different guy, and I'm intrigued to see what they can do with him in terms of like, do they have enough built up experience with bat control and zone control to actually help him improve that strikeout rate and continue to get into some of the power he he does have? I don't know. We'll see. But I, I like this move for him. Um, and I, I think it was a smart move by the Guardians. Meanwhile, for Josh Bell, like, Bell obviously has not been terrific this year 99 wrc plus not what you're looking for out of a first base slash dh type but he has a 355 x woba and a 315 woba so his his numbers on the surface do not reflect the fact that like he's been he's been killing the ball right his barrel rate is pushing 10 percent his hard hit rate is up from last year when he was quite good like there's a lot to like in what he's doing under the surface. And I think this is a situation where um, it's not so much that the Guardians like didn't notice that or giving up on him or whatever. Like They got Manzardo in their other trade. They need to make room for him next year anyways. And I think they saw an opportunity here to get a real prospect back for Josh Bell. And they did. And I think from the Marlins' perspective, they, they're giving up a prospect, like, again, a real prospect, but they're getting back an undervalued bat. And I think from a fantasy perspective, a little bit like Verlander, like the cert, like it's sort of the, maybe the opposite of Verlander, right? Like Verlander, as good as the surface numbers are this year, the underlying performance isn't good enough to, to for me to think he can turn it around. Or, or even if he does turn it around, it's been too long for me to want to keep Verlander. Bell might be the opposite. We're like, yeah, I get that the underlying performance has been good, but I don't think there's anything he can do over this next two months that's going to make me be like, okay, he is a stud. I'm all over him. But I think there's a lot he could do over the next two months to to move him up my draft board for next year. And I think he's sort of a sneaky good pickup down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll start with, with Watson. Um, I think that's obviously an exciting pickup for the Guardians. I mean, at the end of the day, like no matter how bad he's been, we're talking about a, a first round talent less than two years ago. So it was 20 years old. Like if you're ready to write that off, I'm not. I think it, it is a good opportunity now to buy, um, not necessarily just because he got traded, but I think people sometimes get a little caught up when prospects get traded and they're they're not living up to their hype right away. Like Taylor Trammell comes to mind for me, maybe recently Estiri Ruiz, where like they get moved a couple times and people quickly forget that like this was a player with real potential and like maybe a new spot or just growing things begin to come together. So if somebody is cooling on Watson because he was performing poorly and now he's been traded in your, your deep leagues, um, it could be a good opportunity to buy low. Uh, in Josh Bell's case, I mean, I, I don't think there's much of a change in terms of this year value, right? I don't think the Marlins offense is going to be too much of a difference for Josh Bell in terms of counting numbers. Um, his expected home runs, at, if he played all his games in Miami, would be 14. He has 13 actual home runs this year. Like, I, I don't expect there to be that much of a difference. But Josh Bell is a guy who has gone on stretches in the past, including this year for a little bit of time, where he looks really, really good. And he could be the type of guy, if he catches lightning in a bottle down the stretch here after getting moved, um, that could help you win your leagues. But long term, you know, Josh Bell, we're, we're a fan of Josh Bell here on Keeper Cut. There's no question about that. But uh, he's not the player he was for that half season in Pittsburgh, unfortunately. Yeah, agreed. Um, the Diamondbacks got Tommy Pham, which like this is Pham's fourth team in two years. Uh, and I, 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 <laughs> his... got to move him before fantasy football season starts. 
That's true. Yeah, yeah. You got to see who he slaps the crap out of. Um, I don't think that's actually anything against Fam. I know he's a guy who's caused like, or, or well, he's he's caused his fair share of trouble with things like the Jock Peterson slap. And apparently, actually, that's why the Giants did not want to trade for Tommy Fam, which I found kind of interesting. They drew the line there. Um, in either case, Tommy Fam has posted some pretty serious stack cast numbers. Those of you that are big stack cast guys, or even better, the pitcherless player pages, like it's pretty red for Tommy Fam. Um, but I think he's one of those guys that we can begin to accept that like, just because it looks good under the hood, doesn't mean that it's going to look great on top to his credit. He's been really solid this year. I think he's going to an exciting place, but Chad, I guess my problem with this is I don't, I thought Tommy Pham was going to move to a place where there'd be more playing time. And actually he was playing quite a bit for the Mets because they needed him. I don't think that's the case. I think, I think he's going to be limited in his playing time with Arizona. I think this trade actually hurt his fantasy value in more ways than one. Yeah, I mean, roster resource has him as the starting left fielder batting fifth. Uh, If I go to his player page, like he started, let's look at this. He started today. He he went over over four today, but walked and stole two bases. So that's that's pretty nice if you're a fantasy manager. But he started. He's basically started every day since the third. So he, he played for the Mets on the 30th. He didn't play at all on the 31st, first or second. Some of that was likely just getting to Arizona, stuff like that. But then since then, DH batting third, left field batting fifth, DH batting fifth. And I'm not actually sure what he did today, but it looks like he's going to be a regular in that lineup. Now, the, you know, the outfielders on their bench, they've got like, Jace Peterson, Alec Thomas, who keeps showing flashes, but not actually doing a whole lot. And then you start to look in AAA and like Paven Smith could come up. Dominic Fletcher got to look earlier and could again. I, I don't think there's anyone other than maybe Thomas. And you could find a situation where Fam is a righty and Thomas is a lefty and maybe they end up in a platoon. But I don't know that Thomas has really done like I've, I've been a big fan of Thomas for a while. And, and so I'm really disappointed that he hasn't performed, but he, he hasn't performed. Like he just hasn't. Oh, by the way, fam was batting third again today. He was the DH again. So he is, he's switching between DH and left field. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is the other guy who's sort of in that DH left field mix for the most part, it looks like. He, he's, you know, it looks to me like Fam is going to hit third versus lefties and fifth versus righties, but he looks like he's going to be in the lineup every day. If that's true, he's got, I think, a, a pretty good lineup upgrade. And especially if he's hitting third in that lineup, because like if you look at when he hit third, today that he had Cattell Marte, Corbin Carroll hitting in front of him and Christian Walker and then Lourdes Gurriel Jr. hitting behind him, especially against lefties. That is just a stellar, stellar place to be in that lineup. Um, you've got, you know, maybe the National League MVP. If, if it's not Acuna, it's Carroll at this point, I think. Like maybe the National League MVP hitting in front of you and two guys who just crush lefties hitting behind you. Against righties, he's behind Walker and in front of Guriel, but that's not quite as tempting. But he's been good this year. So, I, you know, from a keeper league perspective, I'm not like, I'm not super excited about him. He's, he's still like, he's still a guy you can't rely on. He's still 35 years old. He, he'll be 36 before opening day next year. But right now, if you need outfield help, I think he's pretty interesting. And in deeper leagues, if you can, you know, always start him against lefties and use him against righties sparingly, that's not a bad option. Yeah, I, I don't know if I was forgetting an outfielder or something. I I guess the playtime is not going to be as much of a concern. He was in a pretty advantageous lineup spot for, for most of the season with the Mets, especially towards the end, close to when he got traded. Maybe that was a showcase thing. I think it was more of a need thing. I don't know. I, I, I see with Carson Kelly back and I know Gabriel Moreno's dealing with a shoulder, but that's a little bit of a situation when they come back. I don't know if they want Lourdes Gurriel plugging up DH. It just it seems like a, a, a jam of just like blech players. And so like that, that kind of concerns me a, a little bit. Um, 
you're right though if if he is batting third at least part of the time uh in that lineup that that could be a solid spot for him um i think at this point he was probably already rostered in your leagues but maybe maybe it is a situation upgrade and and he is worth worth adding there um but i'm I'm with you long term he's already 35 he's gonna be 36 next year probably in a new home um i don't know if there's much to chew on there I don't know if there's much to chew on with this next player either, but it is the Dodgers. And so we had to throw it in there. The Dodgers did not get Blake Snell. The Dodgers did not get Verlander or Scherzer. The Dodgers, however, busted out the big guns to get rejected in a trade by Eduardo Rodriguez. And then they turned to acquiring Ryan Yarbrough, who has been bad as a reliever for the Royals, but as a starter, he's been pretty good. And the Dodgers got him so just like we talked about the Astros and Lance Lynn and the Dodgers before this can be a thing that kind of piques your interest so Ryan Yarbrough entering the Los Angeles Dodgers rotation is this something that interests us or is this just a oh yeah that's a guy who now I can add the Dodgers to my immaculate grid list for Ryan Yarbrough yeah I'm not interested in Ryan Yarbrough (laughs) no not happening regardless whether that the Dodgers are like he he, the upside just isn't that high, anyways. And you're always in like the the overall numbers aren't that good. And when he's at his best, he still doesn't strike anyone out. You're just like counting right. on him. You're getting some bat luck and some left on base luck, basically. And it's just not. I don't know. It's not that exciting to me. It's. You're looking at a, at some bad starts mixed in with the occasional mediocre start where he doesn't get you enough strikeouts to for it to be a good start. And we'll see what they do in terms of like increasing his innings and stuff like that. But his first go round with the Dodgers, he went four and a third out of the pen. I don't know if he was like a follower in that one or what, but like, I don't know. Hey, he had that crazy win season as a follower for the Rays, but no, I, I'm with you. This is this is too deep of a cut. Um, I, I don't think I would even throw a dollar at him in out new formats. I, I mean, look, the Dodgers don't have great pitching this year, which is weird to say. But when Clayton Kershaw does come back, it's I I, I don't see Tony Gonzalez losing a spot. Julio Urias is not going to lose a spot. Bobby Miller might, but I think it would be to Pepio, who's making his way back, or to Sheehan, or to Grove, or whoever that might come up just to kind of spell and, and, and keep down Miller's innings. And then there's Lance Lynn, who's now pitched well twice in a row, and they didn't acquire him to, to have him come out of the pen. So I think Yarbrough's time is limited both on this podcast and for the Dodgers, at least in the Dodgers rotation. Uh, the Red Sox made a huge splash. Uh, they, they said, you know what? We are just a few games out of the wild card, so we're going to go ahead and acquire Luis Urias, who I actually like. I, I really liked the beginning of the year. I actually rostered him in quite a few spots. Um, r- he got hurt in like the first game or the first week of the season, and he really hasn't been able to get back on track. But he's been a decent player the last couple of years, um, and he could see some time with the Red Sox, even with Trevor Story coming back. You know, the, the middle infield situation for the Red Sox has not really been a great one. So does Urias to the Sox interest you at all? I think so only from the perspective that if he – comes back and has a good close of the season for them. He's he's an interesting guy. I mean, he's he's still just 26 years old. He's had you know, he's had some good seasons. I mean, looking at it from like an auto new perspective, he was over he was like pushing 5 points per game in 2021. He was over 4 and a quarter in 2022. Those aren't like great numbers, but there there's some use there, and there was always a sense that there could be there could be more coming from him. Um, and so I'm sort of intrigued. I, I think it's I think it's unlikely this you know fixes him and he turns into like a star or anything like that. But 2021, 2022, he was a 112 and then a 110 WRC plus. Like he was an above average hitter for two years in a row playing a premium position and he, he qualifies it both uh, right now in outer new he's second base shortstop third base. He'll be second and third next year for sure. And he's now got, I think one, 
he I don't know his his only appearances in at, at short this year are in the minors. So unless the unless the Red Sox decide to give him a look at short, then he's probably going to lose that this year. But still, second base, third base, I don't know. There's something interesting there. Probably not a whole lot, but I'll be watching. I'm not going out and rushing out to pick him up, but I'll be watching. Yeah, I, I I will just say it's a little bit of a crowded situation, even though it's been incredibly mediocre. It's like that that blur of just whatever players, right? Yu Chang, Pablo Reyes. We, we've had some decent performances on occasion uh, from some of those guys. So you kind of just add Luis Urias into that mix, and he might be the worst fielder out of all of them. That's worth keeping in mind. But he has been over a two-win player each of the last two seasons. So he's a guy worth keeping an eye on. He, he does provide some punch. Um, I just don't know. Don't know how long it's going to last, and it'll be interesting when Story comes back this week, something we might talk about later in the show. Um, so before we continue on with uh, these these remaining trades from the deadline, um, I do have to ask if our listeners want to make any money making picks on MLB games. If you do, you need to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PitcherList, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100, so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. That's PitcherList, one word, all capital letters. Again, that's UnderdogFantasy.com or Underdog Fantasy in the App Store. Sign up with the promo code PitcherList and get your first deposit doubled up to 100 bucks. You must be 18 or older, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, 21 in Massachusetts and Arizona, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org in Arizona. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY. In Tennessee, call 1-800-889-9789. We're going to get back to some more moves and news right after this break. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com to sign up for your trial today. Welcome back, folks. Pete Ball, Chad Young, Keeper Cup podcast, breaking down the trades that took place right up to the buzzer on Tuesday's trade deadline. Um, There's two more to go here. Well, a lot more to go, but it's the Padres getting four (laughs) players. I got that's the only way to really call them. I'm not sure there's much fantasy value there Uh, And the Blue Jays getting a new shortstop. Uh, to unfortunately replace Bo Bichette, who's been placed in the IL with uh, a strain in his knee. Doesn't sound good, but certainly could have been worse. We talked about it on the show as it happened, and we were thinking the worst, so I'm glad that wasn't the case. Still doesn't look great. Um, Paul DeYoung to Toronto. Any interest there, Chad? Hopefully no, I'll say, because right now he's... I mean, it's unlikely he'll have much value regardless, Right now, he's hitting eighth or ninth in that lineup on a daily basis. And, you know, he is their starting shortstop. He seems to have that job sort of locked down. But supposedly, we're going to see Bichette again before too long, right? Is that what I'm, what I'm led to believe? But if that's true, like, you know, he already, he, like, it says here on his, that he he already took some throwing drills. He's increased the amount of intensity of his baseball activities. Like he's already working his way back. The day he gets back, DeYoung has no value at all because he's not going to play. Uh, there's nowhere on that team for him to play. I guess maybe he could occasionally play third base, but like 
I don't think they're going to sit Chapman for him. I guess maybe he could play some second base, but what Merrifield's been great this year. I So no, no interest. He's just a placeholder. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I've never actually had interest in Paul DeYoung, and granted, that's hurt me at times because when DeYoung gets hot with the bat, he, he can hit homers and spurts, but he's in the first percentile, the lowest percentile, the lowest one percentile in average exit velocity, um, and somehow has a middling barrel rate, but it, it's all for naught because when and if, but really when, Bo does come back, and we all hope it's sooner rather than later, you're right, Paul DeYoung's value goes kaput. I'm just going to throw all four of these names at you at once. I don't think there's anything to talk about here. The Padres got Scott Barlow, who you did like at the beginning of the year, so I, I won't speak for you. Uh, Garrett Cooper from Miami, Rich Hill from Pittsburgh, and who's the fourth player that they got? I cannot even... I can't I can't even remember. They got a fourth player. Uh, <laughs> help me out here, Chad. Any fantasy did value get, here? Did they get G-Man Choi? That's who it was. G-Man Choi. Was there their fourth? Yep. Uh, no, there's no, immaculate there, grid. there's, there's no fantasy, no fantasy value here. I did like Barlow at the beginning of the year. He's been disappointing and now he's not a closer. So that's fair enough to that. Yep. Too bad. They didn't trade hater. Cause then maybe things would have got interesting for, for Mr. Barlow there. Um, yeah, maybe. all right, well, we're going to, we're going to talk about some of the other news that took place. This, most of the stuff has immediate value, but there is some long-term stuff here that we can discuss and i wanted to start here with a third baseman who just today fractured his thumb that's josh jung the timetable is unclear they need to see more the x-rays apparently revealed the fracture but he's going to undergo more tests and we'll get a more clear timetable but most of it suggests six to eight weeks which effectively end his fantasy season but we're certainly hope to see him back for the mlb playoffs i think this puts jung in a really interesting spot for 2024 drafts and auctions because if i I don't know what the projection systems are going to say but if they're going to take into account his short stint last year then it's only going to hurt him i think he's pretty awesome i think he plays in a great lineup and although it's been a little bit up and down this season he has been one of the highest performers at the position i'm going to check the espn player rater but i'm sure he's pretty high at third base obviously it's only going to go down from here because he's not going to be playing but any any thoughts on on Jung? Is this impacting your teams? And most importantly, I guess for our listeners, how are we going to replace him if we've been getting you know elite power from third base and now it's all gone? I, the reality is you're you're not going to replace him. Like you're going to have to find a way to sort of get by. But like I'm poking around at CBS right now, and here are third base eligible players that are under fifty percent rostered. Uh, you get guys like Wilmer Flores. 46%, J.D. Davis, 45%, D.J. LeMahieu, 45 You go just above, you get Cabrian Hayes at 51%, Jake Berger at 56%. I don't know how much he's playing, but he is at least somewhat interesting. Right now at CBS, Eugenio Suarez is only 62% rostered. I would be all over that. He's been killing the ball lately. You go look at Otto New, though, and like Suarez is 84% rostered and you get down under 50% and you're looking at like Mark Vientos, who's been terrible, Luis Renjifo, Matt Veerling, who, who has not been good, Luis Urias, who maybe, you know, maybe he's in a, a new place and healthy and we'll, we'll see. Uh, there's not a lot out there. So I, I think if you're, if you've lost young, what you need to be doing is picking one category that you want to replace him for. You know, if you're if it's a points league, you pick the guy who gets the most points, who's available, fine. In a, in a roto league, though, pick just pick a category and find somebody who can at least help you in that category. So, like, if it's home runs, like, in Auto New, Patrick Wisdom is just under 70% rostered. If you're going to miss Young's power, Wisdom can help there. It's the only place he can help. He'll hurt you everywhere else, but he can help there. Uh, you could also get, boy, that's about it for power. <laughs> if you're looking for, like, you know, I'm looking now at a league that uses on base percentage. If you're looking for a guy who can help you with on base percentage, uh, I, I mean, there aren't a ton of options here. <laughs> like, Nick Magical, if he's going to play is just about 10% rostered and for both average and on base percentage, he should be helpful. 
yeah, maybe maybe that's a bad example of a category to be, to be looking at. There are not a lot of good choices. Let's take a look at at speed and see if maybe there's anyone who's third base eligible who who's running. And so, yeah, I mean, Willie Castro. Willie Castro is third base eligible in auto new. He's only 26% rostered. He's got 28 stolen bases. Well, Taylor Walls is hurt. Otherwise, he would be sort of interesting there. Uh, Corey Jolks in Houston. I don't know what he's playing these days, but he's under 20% rostered. He's got 15 stolen bases. Like, pick a category where you need help and go find a guy who can help you in that category because you're just third base is too shallow to find somebody who's actually good right now. Yeah, I'm with you. That is just a brutal loss. There really is no way to replace Josh Jung. And I, I looked it up. I looked up the ESPN player writer. He's the eighth third baseman on there. And that's ahead of names like Yandy Diaz, Spencer Steer, and Jamer Candelario. And we all know how awesome of seasons those three are having. So Josh Jung is a devastating loss. Very difficult to replace. But one way or another, you're going to have to figure it out. I want to lump some of these uh, news headlines together because I'm not sure there's much to say, but I do want to put it on our listeners' radars. Uh, number one, exciting week for Red Sox fans as not only should we get Trevor Story back, but we might get Chris Sale back at the end of the week. He could pitch as early as next weekend. His rehab has gone very well. Uh, Byron Buxton to the IL. There's something we didn't think we'd be talking about. Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> um, does Carlos Rodon suck? That's what I put in the notes. I think the answer is yes. And then finally, just some good, let's end with some good news here on these four news items. Uh, Max Fried and Brandon Woodruff not only came back, but they both looked awesome. So that is a huge relief. Any reactions to these uh, headlines here, Chad? So Carlos Rodon also left today after three innings or in the third inning. Hamstring. Hamstring tightness. Yeah. Which is super not great because this guy, I mean, his, his season's just been such a mess and yeah. And you know, today, I mean, there was some good, he had five strikeouts in two and two thirds innings, but he also given up two home runs, five runs on three hits with two walks. You know, some of that is just bad luck. Like all your home runs and walks and hits get piled up and it's, it's a bad inning, but it was bad. <laughs> There's nothing else to say about it. He got 0% ground ball rate today. I know how you feel about ground ball rate. And so like, yeah, maybe the reason he gave up two home runs and is because, you know, everything was hit in the air. I don't know. It, it's been ugly. Um, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure what you do with Rodon. Cause like, so let me, let me ask, put it to you. I've got Rodon in, I can't remember if I'm in one or two out of new leagues. I'm going to pull him up real quick and confirm. I know I have him in league one. And I also have him in league 1199, which is my food and travel league. In the food and travel league, I have him for $20. In league one, I have him for 23. What do you do with a low 20s Carlos Rodon this offseason? Like, especially, let's assume this hamstring like keeps him out for a couple more weeks. He basically barely pitches this year. You know, even if he comes back and has a couple of starts at the end of the year, he's thrown 27 innings so far. And they've been bad. They, you know, they've been bad 27 innings, but it's 27 innings. And like his velocity has been fine at, at like, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do with him for next year because if he's healthy next year and his velocity is still good, he's an ace. I I think when all things are going well for him, he's a top five to ten fantasy starting pitcher. I I agree, and the fact that the velocity is there is good. I so I want to start with that because next year, don't be surprised if you know when you're listening to this podcast, you hear me talking up Carlos Rodon. The reason why I'm going to say cut is because if what you just said happens, where like he doesn't pitch that much more this is kind of it. And we're left wondering like what the heck was wrong with Carlos Rodon this year besides everything. I just, I think you'll be able to get him back pretty, pretty easily and probably a little bit cheaper. Um, 
it's not a great comparison because he's dealt with so many injuries in the past, but Chris Sale, I was able to get him reasonably cheaper in leagues going into the season. He had been dealing nonstop with injuries, obviously culminating with Tommy John surgery, which is different in this case for Rodon. But still, I was like, you know what? When all things go right for Chris Sale, he's awesome. We saw that as recently as this year. It's just that doesn't always happen. And so that type right. of pitcher, he fits this mold, and and so I, I think I would probably cut him. The reason why that might not be the case, though, is I think Rodon does have some time here. If the hamstring was just like, hey, I'm sucking again. Please get me out of the game. Ow, my hamstring. Okay, then we'll see him again <laughs> in six to seven days, and like, let's see if he can figure it out because he's that good. Yeah, and I, and I do think that the thing with Rodon is if he does pitch even a, even a handful, he only makes another four or five starts this year or something. If by the end of that, he's pitching well again, right? I think it's very easy to look at that and be like, you know, the 27 innings he's thrown so far, are basically like spring training, right? I mean, it's a little unfair because he also threw, no, he only threw 10 minor league innings. So he's thrown. And he was really good in those, by the way. Yeah, he was. He has thrown, now they were in high A and double A. Still, still, still. He's he's thrown 34 and a, 34 and two thirds total innings across all levels this year. That is like, he's he's basically right now, finally at the end of spring training and ready for the start of the season. And think about what we'd be saying about Carlos Rodon if he had had a bad spring training and then tweaked his hamstring at the end of it and missed a start or two. Everyone would be nervous, but nobody would be like, cut, get out. Like, you'd be like, oh, he's still Carlos Rodon. He's, he'll be fine. And so... I. The reality is both of the leagues where I have him and I don't know I'm rebuilding. And if I'm rebuilding, I'm just sitting on him at this point. The only way I'm trading him is if somebody offers me like, I believe he'll be an ace the rest of the season and I'll pay for you like he's an ace the rest of the season. Otherwise, at, at $20, $23, like I'm going to just wait and see. Because if he, like I said, if his next start out is decent and the one after that is good and then he's himself the rest of the way, then I think he's just fine. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm still in on Rodon long term. Uh, just looking at it the rest of the season is is definitely an interesting conversation to be had. Um, I can't think of who the pitcher was. We were just talking about somebody whose poor performance may have been explained by injury. And Joe Ryan might also kind of fit that bill. Chad, Joe Ryan has come out and said that basically this groin strain, he's been dealing with it for a few weeks now. It's not allowing him to get on top of the ball. And if you look at when he's been pitching poorly, you know, this stretch here, it kind of makes sense. Now, I don't put yeah. too much stock into that. Look at it. It's coming from the horse's mouth. He's he's trying to be honest and tell you, like, look, I know I haven't been myself. I, I'm not using this as an excuse, but, you know, I'm hurt. And, and, and here's how this has been affecting me. That kind of adds up to me. Still a little concerned there because just how bad he's been and home runs can be a problem for him. And that's ultimately been the problem uh, during this stretch. And we had two other major starting pitcher injuries in Joe Musgrove and Shane McClanahan. So for those three guys there, I don't think, I don't think Joe Ryan's season is done. The other two we'll see, I guess the big question for the immediate term is how are we replacing these pitchers? And obviously the answer is like, you can't, you can't just go find Shane McClanahan on free agency, but are there any names that you're turning to, perhaps low percentage rostered guys like Christopher Sanchez over in uh, Philadelphia might come to mind players like that, that you're looking to replace these aces with. So, you know, I, I reached out to you about Cutter Crawford the other day because somebody offered me Cutter Crawford as part of a trade for McClanahan after McClanahan got hurt. And this manager has been open to trading McClanahan despite the injury. I have a $20, $21 McClanahan or something in a, in a Fangraphs points league. And he was like, yeah, I'm willing to buy in long term. You're competing right now. And the offer he was dangling was basically Cutter Crawford and Kyle Bradish, and maybe one other piece. And we're I, I've been sort of hesitant. And I think where I've what I've come around to is that like I think I'm willing to make that deal if the other piece is interesting. Because guys like first of all, I really like Bradish, but guys like Bradish and Crawford they can eat those innings and they can they can do it at a, a pretty high quality way. And if you're competing now, like you cannot replace McClanahan on the wire. You can't even come close. But you could trade him for potentially multiple pitchers who at least can get you some solid innings. And that's sort of what I'm poking around at. 
Um, I don't know if this trade is going to end up happening or not. I think it's it's a hard trade to make, and like we he and I have gone back and forth because he was like, well, you know, McClanahan might be out until 2025 at this rate, and I was like, well, yeah, he might. He also might be back in like two weeks, right? It's just like it's hard to know which direction it's going to go until you have clarity on that. And, and sort of what I've been telling him is, look, if you want to wait for us to for like him to be announced to be having Tommy John surgery. Then I'll then I'll trade him to you at a he's out for a year and a half price. But right now I have to hedge that he he could be out for the season. He could be back next year. He could also not be. He could be back before the end of this year. Like I just don't know. And where I've got him that at that kind of price, it's hard to trade him unless either I'm really confident he's out forever, or I get a really great return because he's just so good when he's healthy, but I don't know. He's been good, but not great this year, right? He's, he's definitely been down from where he was last year. This injury doesn't look like it's something minor. And I think if you have an opportunity to trade him and replace those innings at even 60 cents on the dollar in terms of, you know, production. I kind of think you have to jump at it right now if you're contending. Yeah, and and even if if you're, even if you're not contending, he's a tough player to I mean all you can do is sit on him at this point, but like I, <laughs> long term, uh, we just need to know more. So it's a really tough situation there for Shane McClanahan. I do like Crawford. I just I don't I don't know what the Red Sox long term plan is for him in the short term he's there's no question he's going to be making starts uh i think he has a lot more strikeout upside than what he's shown right like the k per nine is under nine the the csw doesn't look great but the swing strike rate is pretty solid and he's a guy who's at times he's untouchable like the swing and miss stuff looks really good um so there's upside there and i I i'm with you i like kyle bradish i think he's the better piece in that in that particular deal um, we're looking to wrap things up here. We've got a few more news items. We're going to go to one more break and then we'll wrap things up. Welcome back folks. Pete Ball, Chad Young, Keeper Cut Podcast. We are going through some news items that have taken place over the last week since our last episode. Um, and Chad, I'm going to give these to you kind of rapid fire. We've got three left. I'm going to give you a question and I want to hear your thoughts. Boba to the IL, assuming this and it could be a very short thing, but let's say it's it's in between a long-term injury and a short-term, and he gets, I don't know, uh, 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 three more weeks of play this season, right? Are you taking him in the first round of 2024 Roto drafts? Who? Like, has he shown That's enough to you this year? Because it's not just this year. It, it's Do you know where he is on the last ball two months later? of last year as well? No, where is he? Do you know where he is in the Raswell Player Raider? 50th. Wow. That's Five surprising. Zero. Yeah, I'm surprised by that too. Um, but it makes him a pretty easy no. I'm not taking him in the first round when I look like... Because I don't think... I don't think he has like another gear beyond that. And I start to look at the top of drafts and like... you know, Let's, let's leave aside Otani as we always do for this experiment because, you know... You never know what to make of him, but Otani the hitter is probably going in the first round of drafts, even if Otani the pitcher has to be taken separately. Because Otani the hitter's just been that good. But you got Acuna, you got Carroll, Betts, probably Freeman, maybe Yelich. For all I, I have hated on him over the last, you know, year and a half, Bobby Witt Jr. is in fact returning top twelve value which I didn't really think he would, but he's. it took him a long time because most of this year he hasn't been at that level, but he is now. Um, Luis Robert has been in that mix. Then you got pitchers like Strider, Garrett Cole. I, I don't think Bichette jumps to that level. No, but- uh so that I think the answer, I guess the answer is no, I don't take him in the first. I'm surprised he's 50th. Here's why. He has three stolen bases. Last year, his stolen base rate was terrible. 
He had 13 steals and 21 attempts. And I, I think Toronto told him this year, you're done. He has three steals yeah. and six attempts. That's bad. Um, and I, I, so he's not giving you that speed that everybody thought they would get from Bo Bichette. So I think he has enormous upside, but there are 30 to 40 players who you could probably say have first round upside just because he has the upside does not right. make him a first round player. Uh, right. This next question, I think Chad is a very simple one. Chris Paddock, he's going to face live hitters soon. Um, Coming back from Tommy John surgery, there's a name from the past, certainly a spring training legend, but for him, it carried over into the season that one year. Are, are you starting to think in your, your hot new leagues, even if you're not, even if you're in contention, would you throw a dollar at Chris Paddock and see where it goes? Or at this point, are you, you out on the Paddock train? Boy, I, I don't know. Uh, Facing live hitters next week, by the way, folks, that's why, that's why we're asking here, not just being completely I random. I mean, his... Like, he doesn't walk, guys. The strikeouts have been decent. He's got to keep the home runs down. Like, if you look back historically. And so, I, yeah, I think, I think maybe I should be looking at him. I haven't really been. I haven't really been thinking about it. But there's, there's real talent there. And the underlying numbers have sort of consistently been fine at least, right? Like, you know, his XFIP by year, 4.05, 3.77, 3.87, 3.18. Now 3.18 was only five starts last year, but whatever. Um, but like, he's been an under four FIP three, you know, two of his three full seasons or at least semi full seasons. His Sierra has been, his Sierra's under four for his career. Like, yeah, I think you sort of have to be at least a little bit interested, especially given how, you know, it's so hard to get pitching no matter what. And we just were talking about, like, Joe Ryan is hurt. Joe Musgrove is hurt. Shane McClanahan is hurt. Um, you, you've got, you know, guys like Bieber and McKenzie on the IL. You've got Sales supposedly coming back, but we'll see when he's back, right? Like, there's so many question marks out there in the pitching world that I, I think, you know, especially in auto new, you, you sort of got to take your dart throws in deep leagues and he's as good a dart throw as any. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Love it. I was expecting you to say, heck no. Um, I, I don't think just everybody, he's not going to make any pitching this year. I'd be shocked if he takes a major league mound in 2023, but long-term leagues, get him for a buck. He gets two more due to inflation, $3 Chris Paddock. I, I think that could return some value. So I like that. I like that. Um, and then lastly here, uh, I, the, I don't know if the Yankees medical team is like the same exact medical team that like the Union Army used in the Civil War, but another player with a very weird injury situation, Anthony Rizzo is dealing with post-concussion syndrome. Uh, it, Rizzo was a little bit blaming himself for it. You know, he was telling others like, no, it's not that I'm actually okay. Uh, due to some collision with Fernando Tatis Jr. months ago or weeks ago. I, I don't know just how long ago it was. Bottom line, he's been dealing with this for a while. And people are like, hey, you might want to get you know that looked at. Apparently, he didn't want to do it. And uh, Josh Naylor, your boy, tough, tough hit for the Guardians. Uh, oblique strain. I was reading, I think, three to six weeks for that. Usually, oblique strains, I would, I would err on the later side. So two big-time, well, one hasn't performed like it, but one certainly has. Two big-name first baseman hitting the IL is there one player in particular you're looking to replace them with oh boy uh who would I replace those two with or one of those two I think while I'm while I'm looking this up which I will do right now um I think it's like the situation with Rizzo is I think pretty concerning to me because you're talking about a guy who like baseball claims to be pretty serious about concussions and you know they've added this concussion IL and they've they've done lot, all the right things and you know they've tried to do all the right things or they say they're doing all the right things but like a guy playing that long dealing with concussion symptoms Not good. is really bad it's really bad and like i i hope that the yankees as an organization and that major league baseball as a governing body are investigating what happened here because the reality is it should not matter 
that Rizzo was like, oh, no, that's not what it is. That's not what it is. That's not what it is. Like, right. There, there needs to be accountability here from someone. And it's, it's, it's pretty concerning to me. So having said that, looking at first baseman who you could maybe pick up. We talked earlier in the show about Josh Bell being a sneaky good pickup down the stretch. And he's, you know, he's under 62% rostered and not a new. Um, Jose Abreu has not been good this year. I didn't expect him to be good this year, so I'm not super surprised. But he's also under two-thirds rostered and maybe is a guy who could take off. Uh, Joey Votto, less than 75% rostered, and he has been good. And so if you're in that you know 27% of leagues where he's available, I would I would go get him. Looking lower down the list, it gets a lot harder to find someone interesting. Um, Carlos Santana is available in about 77% of leagues. He he's not a terrible option. You know, we'll have to see what Garrett Cooper's role looks like with the Padres, but he's about 75% available and if you need first base at bats, sure. Seth Brown as long as you platoon him and only use him against uh right-handed pitchers is a pretty good option and he's under 50% rostered. It's like there are some names out there at first base. They're not Nothing is like super exciting. I think Bell is probably the most, well, Votto is the most interesting of those guys, but at almost 75% rostered, you might not be able to get him. Bell would be the next most. And then maybe Brown is a platoon option after that. I think those would be sort of the three I'm, I'm most intrigued by. Love it. Yeah, I guess for more shallow leagues, um, and it, I'm using ESPN percentages, which are not that great because they have a very different scoring system as their default system. But um, if somehow Tristan Cassis is still available in your leagues, you have to add him. And Ryan Mountcastle, yeah. who's probably been added in most leagues, has been so hot since coming back from the He's IL. Right he now, is yeah. scorching. Uh, so if you're in a more shallow league, uh, I would definitely target one of those two guys. But um, that'll do it for us, folks. Thanks for listening. We'll get you next week. Please don't forget to leave us the ratings, comments, reviews, all that good stuff. Um, send us your questions to the at keep or cut Twitter account and uh, we'll see you next week.